Hello, everyone. My name is Sandy. I'm the host of the Inside Look podcast. So today we're sitting down with Debbie Seminowicz, and she has had the opportunity to work with various different industry positions and at large companies such as GSK and Hoffman LaRoche. So we're very honored today to be able to sit down with her. She has a wealth of experience in her field. So thank you so much for being on the show. Yeah, thank you so much, Sandy. It's a real honor to have been invited to present after I took my uh, pharmacy training here at the U of A and what I've done in my career since. So I've been very, very fortunate uh, to be able to share and also Mm -hmm. to really have experienced a fulfilling career so far. So thank you so much. Mm -hmm. You know, you mentioned that you had been with the U of A before. You had been uh, studying here for your bachelor's of pharmacy. Could you talk a little bit about uh, what was your experience like here? Yeah, well, certainly now uh, at this interview, we're in the brand new uh, Kate's building. So I recollect my memories from the iconic pharmacy dentistry building where we had our uh, pharmacy school. And I think, you know, everybody would remember throwing their graduation cap on the stairwell of that building. So that building really is so memorable for me. It's where all of us uh, took our classes together. Mm -hmm. It's where we spent uh, four years together and uh, had a lot of collegiality. And when we weren't in classes, we would hang out in the pharmacy lounge. And then we also had a lot of our social functions. And I still take... um, uh, keep in touch with a few of my colleagues, but a lot have, of us have done a lot of different things since our graduation right. back in 1991. So it's amazing to see how far the faculty has come. Share with me a little bit, you know, were you a good student? Maybe it was yeah. best in my first years and yeah. then uh, got a yeah. little bit more involved uh, working. So I also right. had a part-time job in a pharmacy, working evenings as well as weekends. And then um, my last year, I was on the student council uh, in social as a social convener. So that maybe my marks weren't as similar the last year, but nonetheless, uh, yeah, yeah, I was able to graduate. (laughs) Moving on towards, you know, um, before you graduated, did you know that you wanted to be in in kind of the the roles that you had later on in life? So when I graduated, I took a a job in community. So I practiced as a community pharmacist for about five years. And at the same time, I also wanted to kind of get back. And the pharmacist that I worked with, it was at Pleasant View Pharmacy. We were all TAs. I was a teaching assistant for the pharmacy practice lab. And um, I continued that for a number of years while I was working in community. And then I also did that while I, after I transitioned into industry. It was about five years after practicing in community that I then joined the pharmaceutical industry. I had experience with industry just from the reps that used to call on me. And I used to find them to be quite helpful in terms of sharing with me you know, the newest guidelines or giving me an education session about the latest drug advances. And then I also found that they could have quite an impact on um, physician prescribing. And a lot of times it was quite positive because sometimes, you know, you want to make sure that the optimal dose was being used. So you could kind of use them as a liaison to Mm -hmm. ensure that there was good practice taking place. So that kind of got me thinking of, well, maybe I could have that kind of an influence on practice or be able to help patients that way. Mm -hmm. So I started looking at industry jobs. And uh, so when I first started, I was uh, calling on the GPs, so the family physicians. And it was a really good background to have. And I would recommend anybody to start in that way because Mm -hmm. you learn sort of their foundational skills. Mm -hmm. 
And then after that, I moved into a specialty rep position calling on the specialist. And I really was fortunate because I had a lot of different therapeutic areas over my years that I've been able to interact with. And then those were sort of all opportunities on the commercial side of the industry. And then Probably about seven years ago, I transitioned over to the medical affairs side and have been a medical science liaison uh, ever since. Very rich experiences you've had from your clinical aspect of you working in a pharmacy setting and then, you know, seeing it from a different perspective, right, at a higher right. level from an industry perspective. So that's really neat. And I think we need the both sides to the story to really make an impact on our patients' lives and their care. Could you share a little bit more about structure of industry? You know, you mentioned there's like a different, there's different departments such Mm -hmm. as the medical affairs. And then we also have another area of more therapeutically focused. So yeah, uh, so um, industry and and it can range from company to company, but there's Mm -hmm. sort of three areas within industry. Well, there's a lot more than that. Um, And it depends whether you stay in Canada or maybe you Mm. decide to go global or international, like the States or Europe. But generally, there's a commercial division, which includes the sales reps, product uh, management. There's also government affairs Mm. and corporate relations that sort of align on a commercial front from the commercial organization. And then there's a medical affairs division. Then you also have clinical development. And so that's sort of sort of helping to support like phase one through phase mm. four studies. There's a lot of interaction between those mm-hmm. three, I would say, overarching yeah. um, areas, okay. but a lot of cross-function in between all of the different buckets. Yeah. With uh, your previous positions, you had a lot of chance to interact with, mm-hmm. you know, different physicians and nurses and, uh, you know, other yes. leaders yeah. within healthcare. Um, yeah. So what was that experience uh, for you like? So calling on, I mean, I think you have to tailor the needs of each of those particular individuals. I think the focus that you have, regardless of you're calling on a physician or a nurse or a pharmacist, is really the patient. So the patient is always the center. And so I think one of the things that is really nice when you have the diversity of individuals to call on is that you see the different view of the patient journey from the different healthcare professionals. And so I think you use different tools, you have a different approach, you share information differently, but Mm -hmm. you actually have to make sure that you are incorporating all of those stakeholders Mm -hmm. to optimize the care of a patient and the utilization of your molecule or your product um, that you you are representing to make sure Mm -hmm. it's used in the safest and most effective way. And I think it's important too because Sometimes, you know, the patients will tell the nurse something, but they won't tell the physician that same information, Mm. right? Or they'll tell the pharmacist, yeah, I'm not really taking the medication the way. And I don't want to tell my doctor because I don't want to disappoint Mm. him. So, So you sometimes have to navigate those conversations to try and relay information. Mm -hmm. So sometimes you can be helpful to the nurse to say, you know, instead of the nurse having to tell the physician, you can say, oh, you know, in talking to some nurses, they say that their patients really do tell them that they're not as inherent as they could be. Mm -hmm. And, you know, could we have a discussion on how Mm -hmm. we could maybe improve that for your patients? And so those are some of the things that I think the cross-functionality in the healthcare system can bring value to making sure patients are managed correctly. When you first enter this journey or this mm-hmm. path to the industry aside, you know, what, what were some of the challenges or what are some things that were a little different from working from a community pharmacy perspective? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, first of all, you had like a profession, you were in a professional um, 
organization, you know, you're a part of the college. And so you have somewhat of a title. And so I think at the beginning, it was okay, well, how am I, what does that feel like to not necessarily have that title anymore? Mm. And can I still feel like I can be part of the healthcare system? So I kind of approached it as best as I could to say, well, I'm going to just make sure that I'm always putting the patient first. Mm. And then that's what my focus will be. So I should be able to, to, to kind of contribute that way. And I think over time, with that particular thought in mind, mm-hmm. then I think you really just develop partnerships. I'm having the mutual respect and bringing value to all of your discussions with your customers and even within the organization. I think then you were able to bring value through a partnership. And then that's the, like rewarding. Right. So, you know, the same conversations I would have as a, with a, as a pharmacist with a physician about dosing was mm-hmm. very different than the conversations I would have with the same physician mm-hmm. as a representative. Yeah. You know, it's interesting that it was mm-hmm. the same concept, yeah. but it was just um, yeah. somewhat received differently. Right. And uh, so that was rewarding when mm-hmm. you saw that change happen mm-hmm. and, and the relationships form. So I, I think some of the other things, it, it's just different. You don't have a, like a nine to five job. Let's say mm-hmm. you work different hours, you work mm-hmm. weekends, you know, you're traveling a lot. So just the concept of traveling. And I think there's a lot of things I learned as a pharmacist that I did transition into the industry. But I think, you know, one of the things that was really nice about industry is so many education opportunities in terms of development, personal, as well as your work development. That's excellent, you know, tie into something that Mm -hmm. I've been personally wondering, which is when we transition from something that's very clinically focused and something that uh, maybe, you know, requires some additional skills, such as your presentation skills, Mm -hmm. your, um, you know, public speaking, and of course, like negotiation skills Mm -hmm. with your different clients. So I I understand that uh, you had excellent education from different companies that you work yeah. for what was uh, what was that learning curve like everybody was in it together and what's really nice is I was very fortunate to be on teams that I had senior colleagues um, but then you had new people that brought new ideas as well too and I think one of the things that industry is really good at is they have an entire training department and the training department isn't necessarily just all about the molecules and the drugs and the therapeutic disease training, but it's also about, I guess you could say selling skills, but a lot of them are really more communication skills. So, you know, there's a lot of different things along the way that I've learned about Myers-Briggs that are often used uh, as in the industry so that you can have collaborative conversations and really be able to tailor your discussions with individuals and both internal colleagues mm-hmm. as well as external customers Absolutely. Um, in addition there's things like emotional intelligence mm-hmm. and you know colors like there's all these yeah. different things that I think the tools that you can bring some of the other things are just how do you ask a really good insightful question mm-hmm. so that you can have a good knowledge of what the needs are for patients in their journey that you could maybe then mutually find a solution so oh, yeah. there's a lot of different tools and mm-hmm. you know I think a lot of it is you kind of ask to also just learn a little bit on your own and you know they really encourage having a mentor or a buddy Mm -hmm. within the industry as well too oh yeah I think um you know speaking of mentorship you know with our Mm -hmm. show as well we're really trying to um you know help whether it's students or whether Mm -hmm. it's our any audience that uh wishes to maybe you know have a change of a career or um to try out something different you know um having mentors in uh in their field is, is absolutely um 
crucial, I think, for mm-hmm. for someone to to really raise themselves and to, to yeah. be better yeah. than, you know, um, and to improve themselves over time. So, uh, yeah, thank you for, for sharing that, mm-hmm. that piece. Um, so for in terms of your um, day to day work as a um, mm-hmm. you mentioned that you started out as a, um, you know, maybe a, in the medical in the medical uh, affairs division, mm-hmm. um, could you talk a little bit about um, you know what that was like on a day to day kind of basis? Yeah, I, I don't. I think when you're an MSL, there really is no typical day. Yeah, <laughs> the only thing that's consistent every day is that I wake up thinking, okay, so you know what I'm going to do today has an impact on somebody, mm-hmm. and you know that somebody could be someone's mom or dad or. It could be their brother or sister, or maybe it's just somebody's best friend. So really that's consistent every day when you get up and that's why you make the effort that you're going to through the Mm -hmm. rest of the day. But on a typical day, I would probably say um, a number of different activities could occur, but they would never be the same on any one day. Um, And some things that, you know, um, would be done on a daily basis is, you know, obviously emails, there's a lot, you know, head offices are... Um, maybe two hours uh, or away. So you're always having to make sure you're communicating with your colleagues. Um, you know, the role of the MSL, when we look at the interactions with customers, mm-hmm. can be both proactive as well as reactive. Mm-hmm. And just to kind of elaborate, proactive would be, okay, we have a set of investigators. So my job today is I've set up an appointment and I mm-hmm. want to share the latest data release that was at a congress that happened, let's say, two weeks ago. So that would be sort of a proactive activity. Mm-hmm. So you would schedule those things. But then there's a lot of reactive activities, um, meaning that, okay, a customer calls you directly, has a question, mm-hmm. maybe it's something off-label or maybe it's, um, you know, just a, um, something that's not in the product monograph that okay. the representative can't answer. So they forward the question to you. So you have to spend some time then mm-hmm. researching that answer, getting in contact with maybe your drug information colleagues mm-hmm. or a medical manager, um, or maybe you have to call another healthcare professional yeah. to get that answer. So right. you spend that time and then you have to follow mm-hmm. up. So that can take um, up, you know, to a half a day of work sometimes. Yeah. Um, uh, the other things are is that maybe um, you are going to do um, – a presentation to your colleagues. So you've been to the conference, you have all these insights and information mm-hmm. and the latest data. So now you have to share it with your internal colleagues. You could spend some of your time creating a PowerPoint presentation okay. with the data. Right. Then you spend the afternoon presenting. Right. Um, the other things we do are insight generation. So, you know, there was the publication. You want to find out from the thought leaders, how mm-hmm. is this publication going to change the practice uh, clinical practice or standards of care, if right. it's that uh, significant. Yeah. And so you have a set of um, inquiry questions mm-hmm. that you ask them. So again, that has to then, um, the insights that you gather, mm-hmm. you need to formulate into some type of um, document and present that. So there's a lot of variances. And yeah. at any one time, you might be working on two or three simultaneously. Right. So I can't really say there's a typical day, yeah. but just know that, you know, mm-hmm. it's it, it can take up your whole entire day um, and your day can be morning early Mm -hmm. getting on a flight it could be you know maybe you have the afternoon off because Mm -hmm. you're working in the evening or maybe you work two weeks straight because there's congress after congress so it's varied 
but you do have that ability to work from home and mm-hmm. be in the field, which is what I enjoy most was actually yeah. being in the field. Yeah, so be having that flexibility of yeah. doing many projects at once right. and, you know, always being kept on your toes. Yes, um, yeah. You know, that's that sounds like a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, effort and work to mm-hmm. be able to, you know, manage, um, you know, the different projects that you might have. Yeah. So how, what was that uh, like? Well, I think you have to plan ahead. So you would always be aware of the... Um, you know, the uh, medical plan, uh, knowing when data would read out, knowing when congresses are going to happen. So you start to kind of formulate your work three to six months ahead of time. So knowing that data is going to read out, let's say, on a major trial, you want to have um, interactions booked with that customer. Mm-hmm. It could be three months in advance or six months in advance. So you kind of have to look at the whole picture for the year, okay. your annual plan, and then you work a lot of the activities backwards, backwards. into okay. your scheduling. Okay, so a lot of the times we see healthcare providers as leaders and role models in their line of work. Um, unfortunately, we don't hear a lot of stories about, you know, times where maybe we've struggled in our early careers or even mid-careers. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, could you share with us a little bit about, you know, some of those obstacles or challenges you might have faced in your in your career so far? Sure, that's a really good question because it's, I think, where you actually become stronger. <laughs> And uh, it really challenges uh, you to actually go to a better place, to a different place, to challenge the norms. So one thing I would say in pharma, for sure, is that the one thing constant is change. And so having to transition within your role is definitely going to occur for most people. And it's a time where you are in a therapeutic area, you know the customers, you have that really well-oiled internal team working you often know the therapeutic area really well and you're just comfort right you're in the comfort zone and it's a good place to be and then all of a sudden they're changing they're going to restructure and now you're moved to a different therapeutic area so you actually have that sense of uncertainty you're not familiar you have to start building these relationships all over again maybe with new stakeholders you have a brand new therapeutic area, you have to be retrained and your internal team may change, right? So Mm -hmm. you have to be really agile. But the one thing that kind of takes you from one area to the next area to the next area are your transferable skills. Mm -hmm. So there's things that aren't going to be taken from you that you then have to, they're your strengths. And uh, you take those and you move into the new area. And then you start to start kind of understanding the new area and you realize, wow, you know what, what I learned in my old area actually applies to this area. And maybe there's some stakeholders in my previous therapeutic area that would really be beneficial to my new stakeholders. So you start to build sort of some collaboration between the areas. And I've done that in the past. And that's actually a really exciting thing to do. And then I think some of the things are just really trying to balance personal challenges that occur Mm -hmm. as you go through your career. And, Mm -hmm. you know, one comes to mind, and I think you've heard it throughout the podcast that really, you know, the focus is patients. And I've probably focused on other people's dads and making sure that they got treatments. But now it was my own dad that needed um, treatment. So he had been diagnosed with cancer a few years ago. And fortunately for me, I was able to understand the the cancer. And uh, I had been dealing with uh, individuals in therapeutic areas. And so I was really fortunate that, you know, the company was really understanding. And I think the other thing, but being in this industry, it really gave me 
an awareness of all the different resources that could be made available to my dad mm-hmm. to help him through his care. And I'm really pleased to say, like, he's doing really well. And uh, yeah, I spoke with him this morning. Mm-hmm. And uh, thank you for sharing a very personal story. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, sometimes we, when we're so immersed in our work, uh, it can be difficult to, to separate ourselves and yes. draw the line yeah. between what where family should be and where you know mm-hmm. work should lie. Absolutely. So, um, you've definitely shared with us so much life wisdom and advice uh, for our listeners today my pleasure Um, yeah and I wanted to you know if you could maybe give one piece of Mm. advice uh, to our audience uh, what would that advice be yeah and I think it's really what's guided my career since I decided to go into pharmacy is really to make a difference for the health of people and I think if you keep that uh, true to your goal and you know you're genuine about it that you will succeed and you know you will make a difference Excellent. Thank you so much, Debbie. We're so honored that uh, she was able to sit down with us today. Uh, she you know, shared with us a lot of different personal stories and we've learned so much. Uh, so thank you for listening to the Inside Look podcast. The next week, uh, we'll have more episodes and stay tuned. And thank you, Sandy. It's been a pleasure and it's really just uh, an honor to come and share a little bit about my practice as a pharmacist. I still have my license so and, and what I've been able to do to really continue to be part of the healthcare system. Excellent. Thank you. So, Debbie, what is a drug that... Or, sorry. Yeah, it's not right. Yeah. <laughs> Let me start again. Um, so, Debbie, you've been working with so many different products, so many different mm-hmm. molecules throughout your, your career. If you had the opportunity to name any drug, what would it be? <laughs> oh, my gosh, that's a funny question. That's a hard one. In fact, I, I, don't, I don't have the credentials to do that. <laughs> in fact, I think that it's actually an occupation in, oh. and uh, because it's really important to name a drug um, that doesn't sound like another drug. Uh, I think that there's some rules they have to follow. Uh, in addition to that, you know, you have to understand that what um, the name might be in one language might yeah. be quite offensive in another <laughs> language. So I think that there's just, a, mm-hmm. I think it's its occupation on its own. Mm-hmm. But I would ask the people that do name drugs that um, they could make them more easy, easily pronounced. Right. And the second thing is, um, don't put any X's in the names. It really oh, yeah. throws the pronunciation. It makes yeah. it tough. <laughs> Yeah, especially when you're presenting to clients, yes, you know, and yeah. then, you know, you got tongue tied and it's hard to yeah, to get back. And patients can't even say it. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> there you go. Thank you. Okay, excellent. That's great.